basically the last time we did a podcast was the gland cast. <laughs> yeah, all the sex. It virtual. was. That was really good. That was that was unexpected unexpected venture. Hello and welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. My name is Matt Lees. I'm joined by Quentin Smith. Hello, Matt. And a regular regular guest, Keza McDonald. Hello, friends. And it's an exciting time because Keza, you are on the verge, on the precipice of launching a book. Finally. Finally, yes. And myself after the book, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is what I understand the writing experience to be. It's horrible. I wrote a book about Dark Souls um, with a guy called Jason Killingsworth, who is the best Souls writer I know. So we wrote a book. It's called You Died. So Killingsworth, I know Jason, he's an ex-edge man. That's right. Uh, and yeah, You Died. It's called You Died, The Dark Souls Companion, and it's about... And it's illustrated by uh, Paul oh, Scott Canavan. Paul Scott Canavan and a guy called Angus Dick. So we've got a bunch... It's a great name. We've got cover art by Paul Scott Canavan, which is Artorias' sword in front of his grave. It's awesome. It's really cool. It sends shivers at me when I look at it. I love it. And then he's done sketches of every place in Lordran. And then we also have these death illustrations mm. by a cartoon... Well, not a cartoonist. He's done them cartoon style. Um, but an artist called Angus Dick, who's just done the silliest, funniest death. And, like you just being squished under an asylum demon with a silly little sad face and <laughs> being backstabbed being savaged by dogs with a kind of giggling cat for demon it's good so I we're like going to we're going to talk a bit about this right because uh, Dark Souls 3 is out so it it, it's is. a topical time and so also we're going to do a bit of a spoilery beginning of spo- beginning of gamey spoilery thing but that's going to be hidden at the end of the podcast. Yeah, so we'll come back to talk about Dark Souls 3 towards the end of the podcast and we'll, we'll have a point at which we will go, all right, clearly now, from this point onwards till the end of the podcast, we will just be talking about like the first 15 hours or so of the game. Yeah, so the first quarter? Probably? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's so big. It's hard to yeah. say. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm literally only about 20 hours in, so I'll be, I'll be holding some stuff back from you. Although, actually, when you arrived, I was playing a bit that you hadn't got to. I <laughs> it looked horrible. That's it, all. I wouldn't say anything other than the fact that Quinns was enjoying watching me just going... Ah, ah. You would think I'd be sick to death of Dark Souls by now. Yeah. Having done the first Dark Souls review, and then all the Dark Souls for years in between, and then a book about it. But no, no, I'm totally into Dark Souls Well, 3. Dark Souls, for me, it's, it's almost like the Interpol of, of video games, and the fact that whenever a new thing comes out, it always just reminds me how bloody good the early stuff yeah, was. Yeah, I always thought it was diminishing returns, and it is to an extent, but I, I love 3. Anyway, we'll talk about 3 in more spoilery terms later. But yeah, you've been taking a deep dive into uh, into the original the original game. For the longest time there, I thought we were still talking about Interpol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, what, can people buy this book now? Yes, you can buy it right now. If you go look for us on L- Twitter. Literally right this second. Literally this moment. Please click on it. Please buy it. It's not on Amazon in physical form. It is in digital form. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in physical... If you want the actual book, which is beautiful, you should have that. Do us a little Do us a little search. Search for You Died Dark Souls Companion. You Died Dark Souls Companion. And it will come up. And it's uh, it's good. We've got, we've got loads of pre-orders, actually. People are excited about it without even having seen it. So well, that's I'm- a good... Kind of Sign? excited because I think what's interesting about this is this is uh, not just a book about the games. Like boss fight books have been doing, you know, uh, like the Metal Gear Solid and the Jaggy Lines books and all that stuff. Yeah. But what you're doing sounds like more like the emotional journey that players have taken. Well, and what we wanted to stay away from is having just basically a big essay about how much we love Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. It is that in a, in a way. <laughs> so you failed. But, well, no, it's about maybe a fifth of the book is is that. The rest of it is so. Firstly, we kind of dive deep into where the game came from and uh, the the lore of it. And we've got a big appendix at the back that's just a guide to what actually happened in that freaking game and every character that you meet, which is kind of really fun reminiscence. And also, uh, like, I found out stuff researching it that I didn't know before, and I think pretty much anyone who's played Dark Souls will find something out 
about the game that they didn't know. And then a lot of the book is much about the people who made and play it, because I think people who play Dark Souls are fascinating. We got a... Um, I want to even posit that the people who make it might... I mean, that might even be a more interesting thing. So yeah, you, so you, we had new interview material with Miyazaki. He's been so supportive. Just Miyazaki also. or, like, other leads? Also and... the chap who um, translated the game into English, who is Miyazaki's collaborator on the script. Okay. Um, he's called Ryan Morris. He's a very interesting dude. We interviewed... All of, we interview people who love invading, like the people with the biggest sin count in the Arsoles, entire game. Arsehole, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We dived into that for a bit for the for an exploration of what makes you an arsehole, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we interviewed a couple who had a long distance relationship and they played Dark Souls together. That was like the foundation of their relationship. Wow. He proposed to her in a Solaire hoodie about two weeks ago. It was really sweet. So there's their story. Um, there was um, people who we, we we go into the psychology of why Dark Souls is rewarding because people go on about how hard it is and blah blah blah. And, uh, you know, there's actually a lot more to it than that. Yeah, of course. So we, we, we go into the It's such a trite opinion now that it just makes me angry. Yeah, well, this is, this is it. Especially with, like, reviews for Dark Souls 3, people going, oh, it's hard. It's yeah. like, if that's the only thing you have to say about this, Exactly. And it's, the least, it's literally the least interesting thing you can say about Dark Souls. So yeah. it's got, it's, it's 350 pages, like, it's big. And it's uh, a mixture of stuff about the game, stuff about the people who play it, um, observance. We have like a, a tour of Lordran where Jason, who just writes really beautifully about, about the place, he kind of goes through and takes you on a thematic tour throughout like every area in order throughout the book that's like scattered. So it sort of grounds you in the game again. But I think then I've- a lot of it is just sort of contributed stories from people who had experiences in... Think of it like a series of really long articles about interesting stuff that people have done with Dark Souls. Okay. That's like a good half of it. I think it is. I mean, it's one of those games where before we sat down to do this, I was always like, I was like, you know, I always, I'm always worried about starting talking about Dark Souls because I I always just talk about it for about 20 minutes, half an hour. Like I can't stop myself. Well, I thought I'd said everything I ever wanted to say about Dark Souls. It's kind of a tap that never stops. Yeah. Isn't it? Uh, This is it. And basically one of the reasons that me and Jason wrote this book is to try and just get it out of our systems because we've been boring people about it for five years now. Um, but it, it turns out there is just kind of an endless the, one of the things Jason observes in one of the chapters is that every single time he speaks to someone new about it or watches a stream he notices some tiny little thing yeah. that he'd never seen before in the game it feels bottomless it's a weird uh, obsession that it kicks off in people I remember mm. when I was trying to review it uh, when it first came out there's um, a chapter about that there's a chapter about our hilarious floundering adventures yeah, I had a bad the time. Chain of pain. Because I had to go on holiday, so actually like I played less of the game than a lot of people who reviewed it, actually, because I just I just ran out of time. I, I played it for as much as I could. Um and just just wrote up the, the wrote up about the game in the best way I could. I, I don't think I got it wrong, to be honest. Like looking back at the review and looking back at the score, I was like, Yeah, you know, actually at that point, luckily you had got the measure of it and you hadn't just completely yeah. fucked it. The IGN <laughs> the IGN review I did was was like a IGN's pulling power, it was an exclusive. Yeah, sure. I actually did get it slightly wrong because the code that we were playing is wasn't finished. Yeah. And some of the stuff that was in that code wasn't in the final game and some of the stuff that was in that code was just completely sadistic. Like, for instance, the curse used to stack. Yeah. No. So you could get down to like a 16th of a health bar. No, it was the same as mine. And that's, and that's so, why I struggled to review it is because yeah. I got cursed so much that it was like I didn't have any way to undo it. Yeah. And actually knowing now, what's weird is knowing now it would have been better, as crazy as this seemed, to start a new game. This because is it. This, now, that's actually what a lot of us ended up doing when we when we hit a wall, yeah. just starting a new game. Because you'd, you'd play it and you'd be like, oh, it only took me seven hours to do what took me 30 hours last yeah, time. Yeah, precisely. You'd just be like, oh, but how am I this far again? But it's it's weird how like I remember the real struggle I had with that review 
was just getting the word count because it was for a magazine. I only had about 800 words. I think so it was hard a, to explain in that. And I, I, But the problem was, as I found, it then became like my go-to example of a game that just almost sparks me off too much and makes it difficult for me to do my job as a critic properly because I just find myself just exploding into like thoughts and not being able to like chain them together into something Most, cohesive. I think the thing is, uh, we've had a bit of trouble explaining this book to people who aren't to like to publisher world because our publisher they've never done a video game book before so when I was trying to sell them on this concept they're like are there any other books like this about other games and I'm like no because no other game really supports this level of oh I, I disagree know, I, th- I mean oh I think very few games do I like, mean what would be another example well, Minecraft Minecraft would yeah I mean but also like any MMO would support the same degree of people finding Eve Online and... yeah oh no not even Eve Online well, Eve Online Eve Online's got a great book written about it by Andrew oh Warren, sure which is and, new. well you mean the, the history the, yeah. the history of its wars yeah it's pretty good it's a pretty interesting book sure but I mean I think it's very different to what you're oh it is doing. yeah there's but, no there's no other book like what we've done about Dark Souls and there aren't that many games that can support that sort of level of sustained criticism and reporting basically as Dark Souls has over the last five years you know I noticed on uh, oh by the way you can read a chapter from it on Kotaku at the moment. Okay. It's called um, How a Total Novice Beat Dark Souls and it's the story of a really cool YouTuber called Kay Plays and how she her journey through the game. It's a really cool story. Um, so if you want a flavour of the book you can read that before buying it. Buy it! Please buy it. <laughs> oh god. I've spent two years of my life on this, please. But I think it. it's it's fascinating how it's like it's one of those games where there are so many things about it that are quite cool, and different people latch onto different things. It sounds like you've got a, a widespread. I'm of that. hoping pretty. I, I, I'm f- fairly confident that anybody who likes Dark Souls will find at least something in the book that a they didn't know and b they like. Because I find it funny just being like a, you know an online critic sort of thing, especially when I started making videos about um, about like you know Dark Souls Two and stuff. I, I, at that point, I realised actually what I was interested in was only a tiny slice of what a lot of people really care about. Like yeah, like the pe- speaking to the PvP guys, I've um, never had an interest. My in God, it. those people like they spoke to me about Dark Souls, and I realised that I did not understand half of what it's they a different were even language, saying. Yeah. And so yeah. this is my favourite game and a game I've been reporting on for a half decade, and I still don't know stuff about it. It's amazing. I've never played as a magic guy, really. Yeah, I've done a bit of pyromancy, but there's all these spells. There's all this like. You can... yes, I feel like I could play it forever. Is the thing I feel like it's it's one of those. I and mean, you see, you see that there are people like there are amazing streamers and people like you know Lobos Junior and Vati Vision who we've interviewed for the book who do basically just play Dark Souls for a living. Like they earn yeah. their entire living from just playing from software and from software Souls games and obviously Bloodborne a little bit. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a good reason why I don't review Dark Souls games anymore, and it's because that first reviewing experience was so horrible, but also uh, so unique and really memorable. And I, I really have fond memories of our. We all had this email thread. Sorry if I've gone about this in the, this podcast before. I can't remember, but we all fun. had this uh, email thread called the Chain of Pain, which is about like twelve of us, it was you and me, and yeah. a bunch of other critics, just desperately trying, like emailing each other, being like, guys, guys. I got added onto that I'm way too late, though. Like I was already like screwed. Like, I'd been stuck for so... I had such a short amount of time to review that game. I think I had to do it all in, like, two days, um, which sounds insane, but it was just, like, two days of, like, spending two days, like, 16 hours solidly, 16, 17, 18 hours just playing and writing constantly. And, um, yeah, like, I can't remember how far I got in my first run to review because I had to I had to file a copy. It definitely started to impact my mental well-being. Doing it was it. horrible, so, yeah. So then every, every time after that, everyone's like, okay, oh, you're a huge soul fan. Why don't you do the review of Bloodborne or whatever? I'm like, nope, nope, that's not happening. What's changed, the, mo- refuse. What's changed the most in this, in your opinion, um, on a game that clearly means so much to you after spending two years, like, going into its guts? Like, what... What about your opinion on Dark Souls has shifted the most in staring into the abyss for so long? It's part 
entirely what Matt said in that people find so many different things in Dark Souls. There's a really interesting... Um, again, sorry if I've mentioned this before in this podcast, there's an interesting psychological test that was developed in the late 90s for MMOs called the Bartle Test of Gamer Psychology. Mm-hmm. And basically you take a... It's, it's quite a simple test. You just... It asks you questions like, would you rather have a big sword or a ring that makes you invisible? Stuff like that. And what comes out of that at the end is a sort of profile of what you get out of games. So you're, you, the four categories that they use are like explorer, achiever, killer, and... Uh, was this put together by socializer. the university? Or? Yeah, it was a couple of psychologists put it together. It's still used in sort of gamer psychology research some people have expanded it but basically the four things that people get out the four categories broadly of gamer you get killers and they get fun from defeating other people or or other things explorers really get off on finding stuff out about the game and sharing that with people and knowing loads achievers want um status symbols you know so they want the best sword that they want to get through quickest and then uh, socializers are people who are primarily concerned about what they get out of the social experience of playing. So almost everyone has a mix of those four things. Yeah. Like I found I was primarily an explorer, a bit of achiever, a um, little bit of socializer, and then just like 2% killer because I just don't give a shit about that. And the, the interesting thing we found about Dark Souls is that every single kind of person finds something to love in Dark Souls. And it's very rare with a the game. There aren't yeah. that many games. Like most games, like for me, I, I play Call of Duty. There's not much point to that, to that for me because I don't get much joy out of defeating stuff and killing other people. Mm. Whereas a game like uh, Zelda, not much there for the killer types. But with Dark Souls, there's something there for everyone. And that was one of the, the big revelations about Dark Souls that I got to writing this book. Because for me, it was a completely different game than for some other people. Mm. And that was very interesting. Absolutely. I mean, I found that, especially with the reviews for Dark Souls 2, it meant, it meant I found myself like massively disagreeing with loads of them. But it, I think it's because of the, we weirdly, what would usually happen with a game is that if it's if it's a game that suits people who love like these sorts of things, then it usually gets reviewed just by those people. But when you have like a broad number of people talking about it, um, like I really like thought that Dark Souls 2 just messed up so much about what yeah. I loved. But with lots of people thought, well, actually, it's doing some cool things with online. It's doing lots of cool things with... And there were things there that they loved. And I could see that that looked all right, but it was just like, it wasn't even nearly enough. Yeah. It'd be like the equivalent of being like, yeah, but you like icing and in your cake, Matt. And we've got loads of icing. Like, we haven't got much cake, but... <laughs> it is funny. Like, um, Dark Souls is one of the only games that I get angry at other people for liking it for the wrong reasons. Do you ever get that? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, it's really silly. I don't talk about it that much online because I get, I get, I just get like irrationally angry at people for appreciating the wrong things about it, which is so stupid. I, I get really, I get reaction. furious. Like, I get mad when I see more reviews being like, "Oh, these games are so hard." It's like, no, they're not hard. They just give you. Dark Souls is not a particularly hard game. It just requires patience. It requires like a willingness to learn. There's, and there's a great quote from the 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 woman Kay who who was a complete. I mean, she'd played games before, but she'd never played an action game, for instance, and she got through Dark Souls, and she loved it, and she wasn't obsessed with how hard it was, because she didn't come to it with all that baggage. Man, yeah. you know, and she had a fantastic quote where she said, you know, Dark Souls gives you a manual, but the manual's in Swahili, but then it also gives you a Swahili dictionary, <laughs> so mm-hmm. you have to just sort of look around you and gather things from different sources to learn it. It's uh, There's definitely something super poisonous within gamer culture of, uh, I mean, whereby Dark Souls is considered hardcore and difficult. This is how whereas, Namco Bandai marketed it. Well, I mean, but yeah. that came about... Uh, well, yeah, sure. But, I mean, we've got stuff like, I don't know, take Temple Run or Alto's Adventure, which is perfectly capable of being significantly more difficult than Dark Souls, and yet it is considered casual purely because of set dressing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, it mostly is down to Namco Bandai just, just marketing it as being like, it's so hard! Prepare to die. No, but I mean, even outside of that marketing, it was always considered a hardcore experience to go well, into. Well, do you know, mm. interestingly, there's... 
Or there's a few people. The, sorry, go on. sorry, I was going to say just because of the kind of people that did like. And, I think and it was more niche with Demon Souls. I think yeah. it was just more niche interest. Like I mean, Demon's, like Demons, I loved passionately in a way that even Dark, I, I, I don't. I mean, I adore Dark, but sure. like, Demons was so new for me. Yeah, and you know, being one of the first people to, you know, t- talk about it online, means it's it's had this. Um, this impact on my career. Yeah, sure. It's like the, defi- the probably my highlight of my whole eleven year games journalism career is doing that first review of Demon Souls and being yeah. like, guys, look at this. And now, obviously, looking at what the Souls series has become and just feeling like a teeny little part of that. Sure. Is that that's sort of the highlight of my entire career. So Demon Souls will always be really special to me in that way. But it wasn't because it was hard. That's not why I loved it. And I don't remember the conversation being about that. But I might just be, you know. I don't know. I think that Demons has a kind of a. I mean, they've always had a unique experience of encountering a boss and being swatted against the wall and going, "What the hell just <laughs> happened?" I think it was funny though because I think the conversations about Demon Souls were more to do with um, theme than than mechanical difficulty. Yeah. It was more that it was like it was a world full of traps and tricks and like you couldn't trust anything and you had to walk in with a shield because there were things it wasn't that like oh the bosses will take you 20 goes to do it was more yeah. the fact that it, it was like a cruel world it was cruelty I remember seeing the word psychotic a lot in reviews and discussion of Demon's Souls cruelty is a good word yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is I think that that's why that I get annoyed when people say it's hard it's, like, it's not hard it's just cruel it's it's unforgiving like it's not willing to just go ah you know you messed it's that also, up so we'll it's, let you it's off it's so like, damned scary like once you start, there are things I learned about the lore. Is it a spoiler to talk about Dark Souls One lore? Probably no, it's now. fine now. I think. But see the scaleless, right? That dragon, the betrayal, the dragon who betrayed his brethren. Um, his whole backstory is so messed up. Like he kidnaps, he sends that those guys with the six eyes, the channelers with the tridents. Those dudes have six eyes because Seath can't see. And he sent them out throughout Lordran to kidnap maidens so he could do horrible experiments on them. Got bobbies. And those weird, like, octopus things that you find yeah. in, in the archives, those were once maidens. Yeah. And it's super messed up. And then the crystal golems were, like, a device that he constructed out of magic to imprison the maidens. And, like, you don't know any of this when you play it. I didn't know any of no. that until I started researching this. But when, once you know that, there's also one of the quest lines... I can't remember what, what her name is, the woman from the Way of White. If you manage to rescue her, she goes and prays at the chapel in Undead Burg. And if you turn around, you just see a channeler just standing there at the top, just looking at her. And if you leave it long enough, she just goes, she's gone. And then you can find her again in the archives, like half transformed and whole. It's just so messed up. It's messed up. Like the storytelling in it, we, we don't need to talk about Dark Souls storytelling. We all know, like it doesn't really tell the story. It's there, but you have to look for it. But I remember reading that and just being like, I feel so much better about having murdered Seath now knowing that he was a kind of crazy, awful, possibly rapey, mad scientist. I am curious as to why the, the sort of the discussion hasn't shifted. Like, you're, you're still referring to it as the Souls games, as like a premier scholar of these things. Whereas, to me, I feel like, I mean, I don't know, why hasn't the conversation shifted more towards Bloodborne being the pinnacle of this form? I don't think Bloodborne is quite the pinnacle of that. I mean, it is, it's really, really good, but it's... Um, I mean, Bloodborne's kind of a separate thing, almost. Oh, I could, oh it's so... Like, within the greater... No, th- that's completely correct. I'm talking from, you know... I mean, Bloodborne... Like, I've literally I been immersed in I said this. the same thing, and it is, it is like, if you, no, if you drink right, yeah. wine. But I don't know. At the same time, I think, you know, if you appreciate... The themes are very different. ...games and craft. And yeah, but, I mean, but the storytelling techniques, and, like, you know, the combat is different and the themes are different, but the structure of the combat and the structure of the storytelling is identical. I, feel, I still think Dark Souls 1 is... Very slightly better than Bloodborne, but it would be a close call. But I think they they offer different things. Like Bloodborne actually is. Um, I didn't connect quite so much with the stories it was telling because 
the horror thing didn't really... Sure. Oh, I mean, I guess what excites me is that we've got Miyazaki, who's just like an author. Like, you're sure, like he's extremely good at what he does, right? And then you, he proves them with Bloodborne that he has like other stories That's to it. tell. And I, I wish and that he said in an interview recently that he would love to do a sci-fi game. Yeah. And so it, I guess I get kind of heartbroken when people who love Dark Souls is like, oh, this is great. You know, the Souls game is great. It's like, no, encourage that man to do the next thing. I am very excited about Dark Souls ending. I've got to say, like, yeah. they, I, I, they had a five-year, in my opinion, I'm not 100 percent sure on this, but I get the impression they had a five-year deal with them. Bandai and it was a Souls game every single year Yeah, because we had Souls Prepare to Die edition Souls 2 Scholar of the First Sin and now Souls 3 all basically within five years mm-hmm. so I reckon and, and then obviously Miyazaki was just making Bloodborne basically for fun on the site and I, well, feel, I, I, I feel like they need to stop with Souls now, Miyazaki was sick of it after Souls 1 although Souls 3 suggests that he has a lot of affection for it but they need to stop with Souls now and they just need to let that man make other cool stuff I think Bloodborne was awesome for, so especially good. in terms of like the, I mean I'm, I'm currently working on a thing about Bloodborne's narrative design but like uh, Souls was great but it was really messy and there's so much actually I think in Bloodborne which is refined. it's more focused actually isn't it it's hugely focused in yeah. every way and I think that's again why lots of people um, wrote it off because it was the fact that you couldn't have the mad scope that you can in Dark Souls of being like you can be a nimble thief or a caster it but was so just much like... of what's attached to Dark Souls is just gum. it's just nonsense that oh yeah like, there's, to there's do with most, mostly stuff. to do with your status screen is, I mean the amount of stuff you do not know in the game never teaches and also there's just like it's trying to tell us it's it... I, I do feel like Bloodborne is a much more focused game um, but that's that's good and bad. Like that's yeah, when I want to no. play Bloodborne. I play Bloodborne. When I want to play Souls. I play Souls. You know, I don't feel like they have to be necessarily in competition with. No, them. no, not at all. I just think it was one of those things where I feel like in building. I get what Quinn's is saying. I think I think mm. by upon building on the Souls world because it has so much bloody baggage and it has so many things that they put in. Like in terms of like so many countries and so many places, all these different warriors from different what places and trying to fill in the backstory for all these massive things. It's very weighty and it's like a big ship that's hard to move around and do anything fast and fun with. Where Bloodborne does this great thing of just telling the story of a city and telling a very complicated story of a mm. city. But all of the factions, all of the characters, all of the enemy designs, all of the world designs are all tied into this one singular aim. There's also, and it shows, I think. There's also not quite so much in Bloodborne that you can't possibly see on one playthrough. Like Souls, Dark Souls 1, there was so much that I didn't see and I've played that game like four times. I played it to completion once and to various other states of near completion three or four times. Yeah. And uh, there's so much that I never saw, which makes it kind of hard to... I mean, the thing with Bloodborne is if you know what you're doing and you're paying attention, you can see all probably 60 to 80% of that game in one playthrough, whereas with Souls, it's more like... It's more to do with the fact that like... um, I mean, you know, this is literally just saying stuff. I'm working on the video at the moment, but it's... The thing about Souls it does really well is it's all just tone and theme and all of the little stories with the little characters that you probably will miss because they are like subtle and you've got to do the right thing at the right time. But really all of these stories are like almost self-contained stories that have mostly no relevance to the the, the story that you're involved in in Dark Souls. Yeah, but, but thematically they're all like they all Yeah, I mean there's fit. there's I mean, there's just so many amazing stories in Dark Souls that you would never know were there. Whereas the difference is in Bloodborne, you've got all these little characters doing these things. And but it's all in the it's one... It's all relevant yeah, yeah. to, like, even if it seems tangential, it's, like, a bit more thematically all over the place. But, I, but yeah. it's all... It, they're all pieces you. that help you put together a jigsaw. And I just found that the difference was when I played Dark Souls, I had no fucking idea what was going on at all the first run yes. through. I didn't mind, but it, meant it wasn't until years of like later of like having read of things, having watched videos. Now I love the story in Dark Souls, but to be honest, for a long time I didn't even know there was one. If I'm being honest, I just was like, yeah, you know, kill the man with a fire. I was <laughs> actually the same, with, with and Dark that's Souls, fine. It's, it's when I started finding out like, it was it was the Artorias 
Because I've, I've, there's very few quest lines in Dark Souls that I figured out all by myself without watching a yeah. video, reading a wiki, talking to someone else, etc. But the only one I felt like I understood for myself was Artorias's quest line. And what I thought I'd figured out for myself was so when you encounter Artorias, he's big. He was one of the knights of the king of Lordran, and he mm-hmm. basically tried to save the world. You know, he was a noble guy, and he tried to stop the dark. And so he figured out a way to get into the abyss and try and stop whatever was down there. And he went there with. Sif, who is his great wolf buddy, and uh, when you see him, because you the Dark Souls DLC pulls you way into the past, to the beginning of the encroachment of the dark. So when you see Artorias, he's been, you know, he he just failed. He just failed. He's a failed hero, and he's like horribly corrupted by the dark, and he's all kind of warped, and it's it's really disturbing to look at. But I noticed that his his arm was dead, and I figured out that he'd used his last strength basically to cast a crystal barrier spell to save Sif the wolf. And then, you know, he got consumed, but Sif was fine. And then I realised that what you do when you meet Sif is you come along, you piss about on the grave of Artorias, Sif the wolf turns up and goes, fuck off, that's my friend's grave. You then murder Sif, who's been standing faithfully guard over his friend's grave for thousands of years, possibly. And you just come along and swat him with a big greatsword and then collect his soul and fuck off. Well, most people come along and get get really repeatedly killed by the (laughs) bastards for many, many times. But I felt so bad. That that just blew my mind when I... Because it was the the arm thing, and I was... so proud of myself then I looked it up online it was like oh yes that's apparently an excellent this theory but is wow. the thing like this is the thing about like not consuming media outside of a vacuum and the fact that like if we went to the cinema and watched two films back to back and then said what did, which film do you think was better um, that would be different in terms of especially if they were confusing weird films mm. if we watched two films and then we went and read up about what was going on with that bit and what was going on that bit and then talked about them and I think the thing that's funny about Dark Souls particularly is because it's been such a long time people talk about how great the story and narrative of Dark Souls Souls is and then they forget that actually most of that they didn't know at the time and I think what happened with Bloodborne that I thought was fascinating was playing through Bloodborne I got an idea of what was going on I think it was better when it was happening yeah I agree and I think people took that for granted because they thought well yeah I know about Dark Souls as well it's like not the fucking time you didn't it's very true yeah whereas I found when I went online to look at Bloodborne after finishing it it was more a case of me trying to plug the gaps and learn new things because I'd worked out the general premise of what was happening which I thought was considering it's a game that basically has fucking no dialogue (laughs) Like, really? I thought it was amazing. Like I was like, I've got the gist of this. Like I was wrong about a few things, but yeah, you get a general feel. And um, yeah, anyway. There's a, They're just such good games. They are very good. And I'm as still I say, not sick of yeah. them. Anyway, you died. Dark Souls Companion. Please have a look at it. Please maybe buy it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, I'm like, I know loads of little stories about Dark Souls, but I'm excited just to look through the back. And yeah, because probably... originally we had the lore chapter in the middle. But there, we thought it was going to be like... It ended up being like 20,000 words, this lore chapter, and we just thought, we can't just plonk that in the middle of the book. It's a bit dense. So yeah. we, we put it at the back so people can, people like can dive into it. Yeah, it is an appendix, yeah. So people can... The first bit is like a guide to what happened in Dark Souls in case you missed it, which is just kind of a basic overview of what happens in that game. And then, then it goes really deep into each of the character stories. But basically, people who already know the lore can just skip it. People who don't know the lore can read it and find stuff out and people who want to dabble can can browse. So I think mm. that was the best solution. Didn't want to write a book about Dark Souls lore, you know? Like, although... <laughs> no, I mean, that is partially what you've done. <laughs> well, a fifth. I would say a fifth of the book is that. A fifth. But I didn't want to just write, basically, a book version of the Wikipedia article, of, of the wiki, of the Dark Souls wiki. Like, that's a bit of a cop-out. Yeah, it's all the, it's all the other stuff that It's that the other stuff awesome that I'm more proud me, of, yeah. actually. Yeah. But nice to have it all in one place. Yes, it's coming out in a couple of days. I noticed something about... Uh, um, I was having a conversation with somebody and, and I I didn't realise that in all of the Souls games you always have 
by the kind of hub at the start, you always have the miserable guy who's like, oh yeah, oh, yeah we're the... Was it Rickert of Benign? I don't even know, but it's always I mean, somebody who's basically going, oh, it's not oh everything's bad. Yeah. And I've realised he's like, I've realised he's always there. And he's he's like, he's the player who's given up. He's just like, because he's always kind of a nobody. And then he's just inevitably always disappears or dies or you find him hollow later. And I just think it's like, you're the, you're like the version of the player. Like you're exactly the same. You're just like me, another hollow person. But you've given up, and instead of going out there and trying to do something, you've just decided to sit by the fire and go. <laughs> and I like that. I was like, I like that that, that story arc is always as it's simple as somebody going. Oh, I don't want to do it. A friend it's not of mine fair. wrote for um, do you remember the Wonder Book for the PlayStation Two? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he did the um, Harry... wait Wonder Book for the PS3. The PS3. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. It was correct. The move yeah. controllers. Yeah. Right. Um, so he did the Harry Potter game for that, and uh, there was a line of dialogue he really liked that he got in the game, which was um, uh, a sort of idle line that if you leave the game for ten seconds, um, when uh, when you haven't even opened the book yet, um, and the line is, "Well, go on. Are you a wizard or not?" Uh, which is a line from the Harry Potter books. Um, and he found that in playtesting, as soon as you give people the opportunity to inhabit that character of, well, I am a wizard, like everyone, <laughs> everyone, you, buddy. not just opened the book, but if they heard that line, they were more engaged with the game for the whole thing. So yeah, I think it's absolutely not a coincidence that someone who has let this cruel game get to them is in, you know, all the Dark Souls 3 hubs, because it allows you to put your character next to that person. It is tough, though. Like, I find the first run through a Dark Souls game, because I'm quite a sensitive flower, and it's so, like, horrible. The monster design is so awful. and I find it very hard to play for longer than a few hours at a time, because I find it quite affecting. Um, and after a while, I get numb to that, and it's fine. But, like, I don't think... The, the first run through of a Dark Souls game isn't anywhere near as fun for me as, you know, the second, the third. I've never done more than one run. Because yeah. I, I guess I, from the archetypes, I've fallen to the explorer archetype. Beating a boss in Dark Souls, or any Souls, or Bloodborne, uh, is only exciting to me because I get to see more stuff. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's... that's so I've seen that. Explore. But it wasn't... The thing is, I didn't get into the lore and stuff until uh, until I started streaming it. When I was doing the um, streaming with the Pants Man with Chris Bratt, it was a lovely thing, actually. I was playing through the game. I'd already played through it. Obviously, I was playing through it with a different tack now of being, like, trying to do it without any armour. Obviously, it's not like playing at level one. It's not that hard, but it's still quite hard. I'm not that good at games. So, I mean, it was kind of a challenge thing of just trying to do the bosses without any armour. But the cool thing was, because we had the chat, it meant people were like... A, I was finding out about loads of stuff I didn't know about. There were so many secret bonfires I just had no idea about. I was like, oh, this game is so much easier. <laughs> but also people were talking about the areas, and that was when I started to find out about stuff like Analondo, which is just... That, that just went from being like an area I thought was okay to oh being my, my favourite area. I mean, like, you know Anor- the Analondo illusion? Yeah. I did not know about Dark Sun Gwendolyn or the Analondo illusion until literally six months ago. Yeah. It's a whole... Part of that game that I'd never the giant ever seen. Golden City. Incredible. That isn't golden. Like, yeah, it's just a spell. It's all a spell. It's just a spell. Amazing. And then you do a thing and then it's gone. And a thing that you may never do. A thing that you never ever do. And all of the sunshine's gone and everything looks horrible. And again, it's just that consistent thematic thing of everything's dead, you are too, there's no hope, that's it. And the thematic thing, which I didn't get for a long time, of being like um, everything that's like, it's like fool's gold almost. Like mm. the things that look really dark and nasty and unpleasant and untrustworthy might be fine. The things that look gold and shiny and pristine and good, not. <laughs> like <laughs> Always that. bad. I like, like that it's the, like... Like the mimic chests. <laughs> well, yeah, like uh, Night Lotrek, yeah. you know, just being like, you know, having all these characters and... And I like that, that reversal of being like, 
what's good and what's bad. And I mean, that is fun, even though that's also a frustration of the fact that there's something weird about the fact with Dark Souls, for example, someone can explain the story to me and I still won't really, because it's like, so you're not dead, but then You fire, totally will. Once you read this book, you will fire. understand it. You will finally understand it, I promise. But I can never remember, it's like reverse negatives. It's like, is it good to be undead? Is it good to put the fire out or to keep it lit? I can't remember, because it's all a bit like, where did the fire come from? Was It, it doesn't good? help you are literally playing someone who is not undead, but not alive yeah no you are undead you're just not hollow oh okay of course yeah of course course. (laughs) this is what I mean it's like where's the line drawn is it bad to be undead um so do you want to should we just do a really brief should we do like a 30 second summary I'm gonna read the book let's do a 30 second summary 30 second summary there was fire everything was fine fire started going out um all the people who had parts of the fire got upset and freaked out and tried to restore the fire and all they did was fuck things up more humanity started getting this undead curse, which meant that people, some people just didn't die. They just kept coming back. Over time, they'd die so often that they'd go mad. And it, the, one of the themes of Dark Souls is about how there are fates worse than death and more of sure. fates worse than death. And then basically the, the light is going out, the darkness is encroaching, you're at the last little flickers of the flame and... But the then it's like, is, is the fire... Oh, that was 28 seconds! Yes! Nice. But then it's like, is the fire actually fire or is it magical fire? No, the fire is, is light and life it's fire. That's the thing. It's, it's like, more you, you're thinking to the concept uh, of fire. No, it's a literal fire. It's a it's a literal fire that existed in the kiln of the first. Actually, I think that's what I struggle with is because because Dark Souls uses like actual things and then adds like layers of theme to it that I'm like, but is it what? It, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't right? matter. No, it's it's all made up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Oh, I've wasted my life. I mean, this is the other thing that it's a game. Well, it's a weird thing of having a game where piecing together. St- the story is the point. So what the story actually well, it's is... Well, one of the points. There's many points to Dark Souls. Yeah, you see, I don't think it was. Like, I didn't, I didn't oh, well, care okay, about it. Okay, sure. My point is that what the story actually is is irrelevant because whether... Oh, true. The journey is what matters. Well, yeah. no, whether, whether I come to believe, oh, this is what happened. Whether that's true or not doesn't matter. That's why Miyazaki's so cool because he refuses to actually say... Like, we tried our luck with him and we just asked him, like, 17 quick-fire lore questions and every time he was like, not telling. No, not telling. He didn't know. He's made it all up. There does exist. He just wrote it on napkins. There does exist a Dark Souls Bible that he wrote, but he's the only person who's ever seen it. It's also not necessarily that sounds. The answers are in there. That sounds pretty Mormon. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, there is a book. Uh, just no one can ever see it. <laughs> like, come on. He's got it. He said. He said he'd be embarrassed to show it because it reveals too much about him. I've heard that one. Yeah, I've heard that one before as well. Yeah, that's that's true. Of, uh, I kind of love me. <laughs> no. One of the one of the things I was talking to him about was this couple who got married. Who you know, Dark Souls was the foundation of their relationship, and he just looked sad for a bit and went, "Why is it the Dark Souls hasn't gotten me married?" Oh god, wow. yeah. It's like, oh, Miyazaki San. Uh, I'm sure there are loads of people who'd love to marry you. Because you work in a Japanese you. office in a very high position. Yes, exactly. You, you never don't get have to any go time, home. and you never get to meet any women because you work in a Japanese game developer. I think he's probably rarely sees women. Like, if you think about it, if you're working in a developer of any, any country, but especially in Japan. Well, there's a bit of motivation for Japanese games <laughs> development to diversify. If any unmarried female souls fans are really looking to, <laughs> to snag this a husband. This is going in a direction I don't feel Miyazaki is apparently open Listen, all I'm saying to your advances. It's the, only way, it's the only way you're going to get to look at that Bible, if it exists. <laughs> if it exists. <laughs> to get very, very close to him. The ultimate heist. 
Imagine if you opened it and it was like screen grabs of that. You know, one, you, you you sleep with him and you go into his attic and you find it. And you open it. And it's like children's scrawl of like there was a man and there was or just a dragon. Various, the dragon various screenshots of Star Wars with this was cool. Oh god, right yeah, to, like, like every a other game like a scrapbook, yeah. with, like cut up D and D manuals and stuff. Yeah. yeah, they do a good job. They do a good job, and uh, yeah, I think it's just that it's it's amazing they managed to take lots of trite stuff and make it actually not. Um, especially I found that a lot with Bloodborne I think yeah. lots of people wrote it off as being like just horror Cthulhu stuff it's like no it takes the source material and actually like does some interesting things I've also thought it. as well because you know what it's like with video games I've, I've very very often thought over the past five years is it just quite generic and I'm reading loads into it because I want it to be better than it is which kind of I feel like maybe is the case sometimes with games generic is a bad word for it I mean like Matt and I are playing but, in a, I don't think so just a joke <laughs> <laughs> um, but no I think generic is a bad word I think I mean like Matt and I play in a pen and paper role playing group on uh, Fridays because uh, we're cool that is a very cool, cool Friday evening dudes. thing too it's okay we've got cool fiancés so now we can do this without panicking um, but yeah it's unlucky Miyazaki <laughs> <laughs> but um, it is interesting because the setting we play is, is tor- called Torchbearer and it's uh, I think Lucas Crane but it's a sweet, It's written by a Swedish guy who essentially says hey dungeons and going into dungeons is intrinsically cool it's just it is handled often the wrong way and Dark Souls handles it the yeah. same way Torchbearer does guess what going into a cave with a torch full of monsters is intrinsically exciting and if it's not then something is just getting lost but also intrinsically a bad idea I'm just trying like, to imagine trying to persuade my partner to play pen and paper role playing games with me like he would just be like there's absolutely nothing I could do or say that oh, would persuade fine. him that that was just, a cool Just do what I do. do. Just don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll work. Just, just let them do what they want to do and run away. And you know what, man? Bear. The world is big enough for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, Torchbearer is great because it has that thing of being See? like, who's your character? It's very Dark Souls being, who's your character? Nobody. Because it's like, no, you're not a cool noble going down into a cave oh, to meet yeah. death. Because like... Why would you do that? No, Tor- Torchbearer posits the question of, hey, what members of society would go into a cave full of skeletons to get rings? And the answer is losers. Yeah, yeah. people who have no yeah, sensible who, way to earn a living. Exactly, yeah. So you, you are like already a party of just wastrels. And I love the fact that in that world as well, like it's, it's quite Dark Souls again, and the fact that like when you go and find treasure, it's not just random treasure abandoned by an ancient dragon. It's usually like the trinkets of stupid noblemen who many years ago thought, yes, we can go and clear these caves out. <laughs> and stormed <laughs> in and got themselves killed by horrors. And That's quite good. You go and find their old trinkets and take them back and that maybe escape your life. That happened in Oblivion. Like, often well not always always occasionally when you were exploring some dungeon or wherever you would find a specific piece of equipment that you'd read about in a book that belonged to I don't know Jack the Brave <laughs> you'd, yeah. you'd be like oh that's that from that thing that was okay. can I ask a question about pen and paper role playing as a person who doesn't have any sure. friends who would tolerate it let's go uh, except presumably you guys um, is it basically like acting no. It, oh. Well, okay, so it's a genre, and it, I mean, it can be. Like, uh, can you act? Yes. If you want to, yeah. I mean, put on paper Does everyone hate you if you do that? Mm, it depends mm. on the group. I mean, the thing you need to understand is that it's not actually, and this is that for years I've been saying that pen and paper role playing is the most interesting thing in gaming that no one is writing about, um, because it is not just like any one thing. It is, in fact, an entire genre. When you ask me, like, is, is the equivalent of you asking me, um, are there is are, is it all fighting games on the PS2? And it's like, man, oh, okay. there yeah. is literally everything. If you want to act, get a group of people who want to act. If you just want to solve problems, because like, my my only experience of of pen and paper role playing comes from Community. 
Oh yeah, the TV and, series. I mean, it could which be apparently that. people hate like that oh, well, depiction the of D and D, but I think it looks I think it's fun. a fantastic. I think uh, that makes it look uh, com- fun. Community's depiction of D and D was written by a dude who really played D and D. God, I need to find nerdier cool. friends. I think it's. I mean, basically, the only it's all down to rule of thumb and house rules and stuff. But generally speaking, you know, you can have a thing of if you're having a conversation with a character, you can if you want act it out, or you can say I'm going to say to this, I'm going to say to them this, like, and you can just do it as if like you're kind of my character asks him where the gold is. But you know? tend to end up like when we do it, like you, you switch between. Usually, if it's a conversation you're not that engaged in, you say, oh, I'm going to ask them where the nearest thing is, or I'm going to yeah. ask them where this is. But every now and then, you, you get really get into you it. You get into it, and you have like a simple conversation, which is you not putting on a voice and getting all thespian, but you are just speaking directly. I would like to because you're voice. there. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing you can do what you like. And I think as long as you find that it's like with um, most things, as long as you find the group um, that that fits what you want, it's fine. If you find a group that doesn't fit what you want, it can be hellish. I mean, that's the case with all table games. You're pretty much any, but you know, there can be no acting. You can just get out your graph paper and your set square and your miniatures and like D and D third edition or fourth, maybe just essentially turned it into a tactical miniatures game partially inspired by World of Warcraft and that edition exists if that's what you want to do at which point you're basically playing the most hardcore like XCOM tactics game that you've ever played every time I've tried to play board games with people at my house we've just ended up drinking and getting bored and stopping well do you know that England playing SingStar England with its alcoholic culture is trailing behind every other country in Europe in terms of uptake on board games that's very interesting correlation literally every single country fascinating correlation yeah Yeah. it's bizarre because this really always happens whenever I I have people around as well. I think it's yeah. booze and I think it's also the fact that English people don't like to try new things. Mm. I think they don't like to make fools of ourselves. I think we're very nervous about appearing foolish. And also appearing like we don't understand Brits. something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, did you know that that is something that quite annoys me about about British culture is we're a bit like mm, shit about everything. <laughs> and yes. it's like can we not maybe anti passion. Yeah. A... Like like cyni- like the whole kind of cynicism, Oof. the whole sort of That's depressing. not to not to Name well, no, but it's fine. It's but just the, I, don't, I don't think cynicism and anger are aspirational character traits. No, they're not. I don't like that. They're not. Um, but often that's the thing is that's how we're viewed, is, uh, especially yeah, as so Americans you like the, us. Yeah, you have to be the sort of cynical... Um, but you don't. And I think it's, it's one of those person. things where it's 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 kind of shaped who we are. In the way. I think growing up in a place where everyone's in, inherently cynical and everyone's inherently like, oh, you, you care about things, do you? It's it means not you like go, that in Scotland, you know. Yeah, but you go, it's you, a little bit different in Scotland. It was like that for me in the north of England, and it was fine, but it meant I went through a few years of being like, huh, no, I don't care about anything. Don't be stupid. <laughs> Let's have a pint. But then it's kind of like it stays in you, and after a while it's kind of nice to just go, no, fuck you, I do really care. I you think, kind of you honestly, go full reverse. Man, yeah, Scotland is, pr- in my experience of living in Scotland, pretty good for being passionate. Ireland, not so much. Ireland really? was a little less like putting your heart on the table and saying, I care about this one weird thing. People are very passionate in Scotland about all sorts of stuff that, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it must exist, but it's even when you look at the football teams, right? Like Scottish football, we're terrible, but we really, really care. Like we we valiantly lose at every sport and we all turn up every time and we all support them and it, it pains every single time our hearts are broken, but we're all still there. Whereas in England, I've, you know, having lived in England for what, six years now, Whenever it's the Euros or the World Cup, you guys expect to win, and then when you don't, you get really pissed off, and it's a very different vibe. It's yeah. not that kind of plucky underdog thing. It's the, no, why aren't we winning? Why are they so shit? Why are our players no good? Ugh. It's very different. Whereas gonna, with us, it's like, well, we know we're shit and we're no good, but we have fun anyway. Before, if we're still returning to the, the spoiler road chat of, uh, of Dark Souls, I've been playing a game this week that I want to talk about briefly. Sure. It. It's called Bunker Punks. Which is Bunker great, Punks? That sounds awesome. It's a great name. <laughs> yeah, I want to check that out. It's good, man. It's yet another of these games I found in early access, and I'm inevitably going to play to death before it comes out. And then when it comes out, I'll go. 
Um, but yeah, it's um, Bunker Punks is... Do you remember those FPSs from uh, Yore in the 90s where you walked like you had roller skates set to your legs, everything is ludicrously 45 fast. 45 miles per hour, yeah. 45 miles an hour walk speed, uh, except bullets, which travel towards you very slowly. I'm thinking Doom, I'm thinking Quake. Um, and it's that incredibly low-fi Unity engine, and then you explore a little procedurally generated bunker. You pick stuff up, and then between levels you can upgrade your stats and characters by developing your bunker... And then you go into another level. And it's just, it's a riot, man. It's really, really, really good. It's like, it looks like Doom in terms of the shooting. Yeah. It looks it's really so lo fi. Really cool. It's so lo fi. Yeah, but everything is so fast. I saw that. It's like, yeah, procedural, roguelike, base builder slash shooty thing. Yeah, the base building is really light. But in terms of like being put back in the, the army boots of like all the FPS protagonists from the 90s, it's really yeah, it good. doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's like yeah. it's a it's a this hasn't been this hasn't existed for a long time, and I think it's going to be really interesting compared yeah. to Bethesda's Doom. As yeah, well. this is it. Like, I feel like I played Doom as a kid, and I loved it, even though I'm an explorer type of gamer. Mm-hmm. I loved it because it wasn't actually about really just shooting game. stuff. Yeah, it was just really, really good. I, I feel a lot of shooters really have lost that, haven't they? The, the but, sense of like having other stuff to do other than you can. There's definitely some interesting things. deconstruction out there of Doom's early levels and the way that Doom, as opposed to Wolfenstein, well, Wolfenstein less so, but um, it would just try and surprise you. Weird it traps, would. It would do walls weird stuff, falling yeah. down, very much like hidden ambush things. types things, yeah. hidden things. Yeah, in a way, it that, was like a puzzle for your mind. In yes, a in a in a way that then slowly faded away as uh, FPS is. I would say like, Doom, Doom was in a way as much of a puzzle game as it was a shooter. Uh, sure. Yeah, I could, I could see that. You had to piece it together in your head. I would l- draw little maps and stuff. I mean, especially so because the shooter genre hardly existed uh, yeah. before Doom and Wolf. So there wasn't any baggage, you know? I feel like it would be nice to play a game where you have a gun, but that's not necessarily what it's about. Oh, yeah. No, I think... Uh, man, you played Snatcher as a... Uh... I played Snatcher when I was about 21. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's a great bit of video games trivia. So Snatcher was uh, Kojima's... Blade Runner game, basically. Mm-hmm. It was mostly an exploration game of uh, walking around, going to different places. Uh, Matt's reading questions, but he'll love this story. You're going to get into this. So you explore locations. You're looking for uh, for robots. Robots as good as humans. Mm-hmm. And 99% of the game is walking around. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's, it's an adventure game, right? You go to a place, you ask a question, you, you look for evidence, you find a chess piece, you wander, you go to a bar, you ask a friend. But, like... When you actually do find a robot, it turns into a shooting game. And suddenly you have to control the pad and shoot the robot. And there are vanishingly few in, um, uh, instances of that. So you're a detective who, like a real detective, almost never draws their gun. And then when they do, it's like... it's That's over like what that. I wanted L.A. Noir to be. Me too, man. But here's the thing. Uh, one of the... Oh, the Saturn edition of Junker was compatible with a light gun. Meaning, you Sweet. played junk, oh you played Snatcher with a light gun on your hip or next oh to you God, so cool. for the entire thing, <laughs> and then when a robot showed up, you quickly had to draw the light gun so awesome. and point it at the I screen and shoot someone. I'm going to play that. Snatcher I'm going to play it and a, play it. Towards the late Mega Drive, I started to have like occasional games magazines, and I remember they always had like walkthroughs that would always be like the whole game walkthrough in the mag. Yeah. Because you see the people who had to write those. Yeah, yeah. But I remember because also the great thing is you'd have loads of screenshots. And so it would always be like, I didn't have it, it was on the Mega CD. It's the equivalent of watching YouTube playthroughs. Yeah, it was. I really wanted it. But the difference was, I think, that in, in those ways, when people watch YouTube playthroughs of games, often that sates them. Often that feels like, oh, I don't need to play that now, where it's it totally opposite. You, yeah. you just fantasize about these when games. When I got my first job on a magazine, we had guys in the office who were still doing those mag walkthroughs and wow. taking screenshots every five minutes and then just really and stitching them together. You got a lot of good freelance money for doing those guides because they took forever. Forever. Yeah. And it was like Screw 15 to 20 that. pages of magazine. Not fun. Nope. Everyone else in my entire office, apart from me, had to start off on Power Station or wherever. 
tips magazine it was. I was the only person in my whole office who hadn't started out as a tips writer. Have I ever written tips? I don't know if I have. <laughs> I feel like we should have run that gauntlet. You know, older games journalists pretty much all ran the gauntlet of having to be a fucking tips writer. I guess my new street has a podcast is just it's panics. Tips. Yeah, sure. You've done a piece which has been tips about board games. Just there's always had a bit of a twist. Ah, oh, really? But like a full walkthrough, like a proper start to end walkthrough of a game. I did one ever. Well, I used to was enough. when GameFAQs was a thing way back in the day. It was A, a godsend, but B, I could never get over who was doing I know, it like, for no reason. Just for fun. People still do it now in the age of YouTube. Don't let them know, because then the facts will stop appearing. Oh, yeah, great work, facts people. And genuinely, keep you, on fucking. Those fact people saved me so many times as a kid. Keep on fucking. <laughs> Keep on fucking. Keep on fucking on. Uh, Matt, we have some questions. Uh, right? Yeah, we're going to do some, uh, rather than going to the usual reservoir of questions, which we will be lounging in uh, next time, um, we're going to do a couple of questions about Dark Souls. Which are the, have you picked? Have you hand picked? Um, not exactly. Not exactly. I'm going to just go through. Should we, and, we'll keep them short, shall we? Yeah, we'll keep them short. So we'll go for this one. We'll start off with uh, Matthew Postema. We can't fully answer these questions about Dark Souls 3, by the way, because we haven't completed it. But this one's reasonable. How does Dark Souls 3 stand as an entry point into the series? Fine. You see, yeah, I find it hard to answer this because I'm not sure, because I've played too many of them and I'm very good. Why wouldn't you start with Bloodborne, because it's a completely different feel and different. It is not. No, it is. No, no, it is. It is. It's much more aggressive playstyle. Coming straight. From... <laughs> no, it's a very Come, different no. combat. Is very coming different. straight from blood. It's so fast. You don't have a fucking shield. Coming, yeah, coming straight from Bloodborne into Souls would be hard because you'd just be used to running at things and trying to murder them. Like Bloodborne taught you, and actually, it was it was a real like for Miyazaki. That was a real. The point of Bloodborne was it was like go go go, and it was really aggressive, like very high energy kind of. Yeah. Combat, whereas Dark Souls, it can be like that, but normally it isn't. Normally it's about The defense. first time I played through it, I played through it with a massive shield. Yes, yeah, and like and a little pokey I stick. wasn't that yeah. strong. It took me a while to kill enemies, but I was more concerned with just moving very slowly behind a massive yeah, shield. It's, it's a much more defensive kind of game. And But actually, playing Bloodborne and then going to Dark Souls 3 did help me out with my personal Dark Souls playstyle. Ah, right, because it taught I, you to be fast. I or? tend to lose confidence in myself, and like my, my I default to... like big shield and a little sword and just hacking away like because I'm scared and I don't like the new areas it's scary and I'm frightened all the time but playing Bloodborne has kind of cured me of that so I, I now will two hand a big katana and just have fun with it so do we think that Dark Souls 3 is a good entry point for the series? yes it's fine I think it's uh, to be honest as well um, Dark Souls 1 is a masterpiece you can enjoy anytime Dark Souls 2 you can safely skip I mean there's also something to be said for like it actually being built for this generation right oh yeah it's really pretty yeah the third game I think from what I've played so far about 20 hours it's it's very pretty. Um, it's like, and you forget how like crap looking the earlier ones were. They kind of it's forever painted with rose tinted glasses now. Even when I go back, but yeah, I think also one of the things in the early stages of uh, Dark Souls Three, I, I found it a bit underwhelming because it seemed to be rehashing lots of old ideas. Yeah. Uh, which, if you've never played a Dark Souls game before, really Dark Souls game, fine. This I will all be new things. Yes, that might actually have been intentional. Like, I've noticed that it starts off quite linear, Dark Souls It definitely 3. was intentional. And yeah. then it suddenly starts branching out. And I think that's actually quite clever, because originally I had the same reaction as you when I played it in preview. I thought, oh, there's a lot of reused assets from Bloodborne, a lot of reused ideas here. And then about, for me, 10 hours, so 10 to 20 hours in, I would say, it starts branching out and it starts getting ambitious. And yeah. I, th- I honestly think that it's an intentional, like, have you not played this before? Here's how this works. It's almost a fan who feels like going. a bit of a fake out of being like, it oh, does. it's more of the same. It's another Dark Souls 2. And I think you just, it start, isn't. you just start feeling a bit confident as well. Like when you get to the point where branches out, you're like, yeah, yeah, no, this is cool. And it's then, easy as well to begin with. Definitely, it's um, a lot of the first few hours of the game are 
um, easier for a lot longer. Yeah, it lets you find your feet a lot more. Whereas I, I, I think I think if you're a newcomer as well, like a lot of time it was like, hey, get used to the fucking undead <laughs> asylum because you're going to be here for, for about an 15 hour. Fifteen hours. Whereas I breeze through like the first for the first few areas, I breeze through a I lot. Think, of I it. think it's much snappier pacing. The combat is slightly better in my opinion. Yeah, and a bit more varied. Also. Very, very crucial. If you're new to Dark Souls, play three because that's what everyone's going to be playing and you want to be part of the community. You want to be summoning. You want to be helping other people. Yeah, I mean, these are games that are meant to be... You're sharing actual 90s-style tips and tricks with your friends. There is is nothing comparable to the feeling of playing Dark Souls alongside the rest of the world in the first, like, month or two or six months even after it comes out. It's great. Dark Souls 1 is always going to have, like, a contingency of players, but you're not going to have that everybody's finding everything out together rush that you get from 3. Yeah, go for it. it. I'd actually be fascinated, because lots of the first six hours of the game for me, I was like, oh, God, this is so, like, rehashed. It was almost like, kind of like, oh, look, oh, look at this, it's a reference to this, oh, it's a reference to this game. And it's, like, greatest hits, and I was like, all right, yeah, come on, but come on. I couldn't get into it, because it felt like I was walking through a pastiche. But if you're somebody who just goes into it and doesn't know this stuff, you might just be going... Yeah. This is fucking amazing because you haven't seen these tricks that we're now like battle weary of. <laughs> oh, it's that guy behind that door. Oh, it's that thing doing this thing with flames. Yeah, etc. Um, yeah, so I think go for it. Um, yeah, very good entry point because people ask that about Dark Souls two, and I really wasn't sure, and I, I feel a lot more sure about it with three. Um, How does magic? Oops, sorry. I'm just reading out. Tiny Pineapple Man asks, "How does magic play as opposed to strength or dexterity melee?" I always want to play a mage. But it never. Oh, Matt has rolled it never mouse feels, wheels. It never feels like it did in Demon Souls. He asks. Uh, magic. I th- I can't really say it was better because I only played a little bit with magic. But in in uh, Dark Souls the first and then Dark Souls the second, I actually abandoned after thirty hours because I just wasn't really feeling it. Um, but magic in three is super fun. I've got a kind of concurrent magic build going on. Like I'm a dex build. I love I love being fast and, and hitting things hard. Mm. But um. Magic, I used to think magic was like, you know, forgive my sexist language, but I used to think it was like pussying out because you could stay at range a lot. Sure. But actually, it's just giving you an extra tool to use. And well, magic is very cool in... in um, I think in, especially in, in, uh, in Demon Souls and to an extent Dark Souls, a lot of the bosses, um, like, you could kind of cheap them. There was often like... And actually, some of them, remember Flame Lurker as well? Like, it was oh kind of... Oh, God, fucking Flame He Lurker. was such a horrible boss that a lot of people did just go, you know what, I'm just going to cheap cheese this and stand behind this and they get stuck. I cheesed Nito first time around. Fair enough. I just so, couldn't be bothered to do it properly because I tried four or five times and I was just like, oh... And I ended up, like, great soul arrowing him from the other end of the room, and it was totally fine. Yeah. No problem. I like this question. Uh, I'm curious to know what you guys think. Immaculate Sandwich, probably not his real name, asks, Is there, are there any callbacks to uh, Dark Souls 1 and 2, and would you consider them worthwhile or fan service? That's a really good... I mean... As I've seen, yeah, I, I've seen some stuff that I wish I hadn't seen from later in the game that is spectacular if you're a Dark Souls fan. Yeah, and that's the thing, is I, I get the impression, especially just from reading between the lines with reviews, that, that the early game is very much pastiche. It feels like very much nods, retreading ground. Didn't really like it, but I get the impression that for better or worse, a lot of what 3 does is filling in the gaps of story yeah. from the other games. There are a couple, like, there's one very, very, very big Dark Souls 1 callback that I wish I hadn't seen in advance because sure. it would blow my mind. So yeah, it seems like consensus seems to be that it's very good. Yeah, and it, but then at the same time, like a lot of people said, oh, will it be a problem if I don't know about the other ones? And I think in a way, no, because no. it's new to everyone at one point. Why not now? Yeah, I think it's like um, it's not like reading books in order. I don't no, think. I don't think so. Because I think what's nice about this is some of the factions in the third game that I kind of knew from the first game. 
Um, it had this thing of when I met these characters, I went, ah, ha, ha, okay, you're one of these people, which means you, you are inherently evil. Yeah. And I know that. But if you don't know that, then this will be a fun way to learn that. I almost wish I'd never played a Dark Souls game before so I could play three fresh. Yeah. I think it would be great. I think, like, some of the surprises, um, because a lot of it is just, like, it's this, there's that kind of Final Fantasy thing of having characters who just re- reappear all the time and have do the same thing in every game and it doesn't matter where you see them first uh, Luke Summerhays asks how much of Bloodborne's DNA do you feel has seeped through? Uh, the combat style is quite a bit more aggressive not as fast as Bloodborne but quite a bit more aggressive than there's, 2 than, sorry yeah than, than 2 and then 1 I think I've had to unlearn that because I think I went into it like as a Bloodborne player I could see that when you were playing Smashing Skulls yeah. And I've had to really like ease off that because often I'm like, oh man, this is so hard. And it's like, it's, dude, it's, maybe use a shield. But it's more like aggressive than one. Um, it's, it's faster, definitely. But uh, yeah, a, a little bit. I would say a little bit. Not I loads. don't know if that's just the way we play it, though. Maybe. We've been changed by the blood. <laughs> but the, the cool thing um, it, about Dark Souls 3's weapon skills. So now yeah, I was going to say, Every single great. individual weapon now has a new weapon skill. Ah, so yeah, uh, Hazel Kim asks, uh, how do you like the P player versus player in Dark Souls 3 this time? I'm having fun with the weapon arts, personally. I'm not a huge PvP person. I think this will make me more likely to learn it than any other one. So what are the weapon arts? Um, so essentially every single weapon and shield has its own little thing that you can do on the R2 button. Okay. On the L2 button. Some of the weapons in Dark Souls and Dean's had that, right? No, no. It's no, like a... It's it's like a modifier. Yeah, so you know how you got your, your R1 attack, your yeah. normal attack, and your R2 attack, which is a heavy attack, yeah. and then with your shield, what you usually do to press parry, right, when you yeah. press L2, it'll parry. Now you have some shields that parry, but some shields that allow you to, whilst using the shield, instead of parrying, use your weapon art. And your weapon art is something which will activate if you don't have a shield normally. So, say, or if you've got your two-handed. Two-handed, Say, handed, say yeah. you've got a katana, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your katana does swishy down, swishy up, swishy yeah. side on your normal attacks, but then when you press... The weapon arts button, you'll go into a different stance where you're holding yeah. it above your head and, you're, and you can do much more responsive swirling strike. Hmm. So it really is going to come to life in PvP because there's things... I, I'm a thief build, so I quick step is usually... The, my weapons tend to have quick step. But I'm also learning how to use dual scimitars. And it's so much more fun than dual wielding in the previous two Dark Souls games. And just the idea of turning up in someone's world and turning them with a sword and shield and then just switching to double scimitars and carving them up into pieces is really exciting to me. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. And the fact it's just one thing by just basically making it so that instead of it just being like, that's the parry button, and if you're not parrying, what would it do usually normally before? Was it just a punch or something? Yes, I can't remember. Basically, by now it means every weapon type. And there isn't like every single weapon has one, but every different weapon type has these different abilities. And hang what on, they hang do. On, hang on. This it, sounds, this, as far as our previous question of DNA from Bloodborne seeping in, this sounds extremely similar to the trick weapon stuff in Bloodborne. Mm. No, sort of, but not really. It doesn't really change it. It's, and that's the thing is they do. Okay, I got thrown off by Kaza saying you take on a different stance with the katana, which sounds identical. That's well, like some of them are stances. Some of them are like that. Other ones have a quick step, for instance. Okay, uh, but basically every weapon has more animations and uh, it makes every weapon feel more different than they used to. Yeah, it, it, feels, it makes weapons feel more like a part of a weapon style. You like, have to learn a different one as well. Like, I mean, I'm a different player when I'm with dual scimitars than I'm with a halberd, which like you got a, feel like a dark If you've got a dagger, for example, like if you're a thief guy, then dagger, weapon up, is like a really fast quick step, which if you're locked on, it means you'll like just immediately move behind the person. So it's basically, rather than doing the roll, Whoa, it means intense. it's actually a move, which is to go step like really quickly around somebody. Which means to the dagger now. That's great. I, means know, I, I, don't, be... I don't feel confident enough to use it. In I'm sure. It's so scary. I'm sure, but it means if you are that person and you want to play as like a thief character, it then means that when you have a knife, you have a thief style move rather than it being like, just get more decks. That's lovely, yeah. And like with my thing, with my massive two-handed sword, you might have seen, swinging that round, when I press um, my thing, it just does this tiny little step forward 
which is basically like a, a swift, temporary change in stance. That if I then follow up with a hard attack, then it means like he swings the sword all the way around him. So it's not even a move. It's basically like a start of a combo, which allows me to then just like clear the room, basically. It just opens up the combat a bit. And some of them with big hammers and stuff, it does this thing where it just boosts your poise for a second. Basically, I think it makes it more like you do this thing for a second, then for a few seconds, you're harder to knock down and more likely to knock people down. It's like kind of like almost like, you know, you're... you're Gimli or something being like I've got a big hammer you're not gonna no- I'm gonna <laughs> I mean that's what you want if you're holding the hammer probably precisely right? so it's not did, just about that it's I did like- have a really good time uh, a couple of days ago I was going through one of the early areas uh, I like to help people out it's how I get over the Dark Souls are scary and awful is I like to just go help other people out um, and that way you learn the area without like losing souls without like all this kind of stress of playing it by yourself you learn the area by helping other people through it um, and also if you're there's no reason to ever need to farm in any Dark Souls game, because instead of farming, go help someone. Because if you if you uh, beat the boss with them, or even just explore with them, you will earn loads more souls than you would by farming, and it's really fun. <laughs> and the other day, I was with this this guy, and I was just you know helping him through kind of an early swampy area, and we got invaded four times. Four different people invaded us, and we kicked all of their asses, all of their asses, and we ended up rinsing this entire area. And every time a new person came in, we would just be doing that kind of "What is it?" pose. It's like, come on. You know how many of you we've killed today, and you know he would like do fake outs, and we'd and I, I would uh, my special technique that I developed without speaking to this guy was that I'd start out with like a big shield and a sword, and I'd like circle around really conservatively, so he'd be like, oh well, she's not a danger, I'll go for him. Then switch to the double scimitar, carvey carve carve, so fun, and uh, we got through the whole area together, and then we got to the boss, and I died halfway through, which was sad. But that, <laughs> <laughs> but that th- those are my only PvP experiences so far is just. You know, helping other people out to, to get rid of... And actually one change which I really like is the fact that now, rather than being like having humanity to be unhollowed, you have a little like ember which makes you flamey or something. Still not quite got the thematic stuff of... The no, I, I don't ember. care. It's fine. I'll work it out later. Uh, I'm really interested by it. I'll read it up afterwards, yeah, probably. I'm going to give the game a fair chance to tell me. So I'm trying to avoid lore while I'm playing now to be like, no, come on, do your job. <laughs> Let's see how well I'm interested. But anyway, um, it does the thing basically now where you can't be invaded by people unless you've, you're basically got your humanity so it means you that was the case before you can't summon people but you can't be invaded but you can still that was the case before with humanity you could only Uh, be invaded or summoned when you had humanity when you were human yes but I think now I'm not sure if this was the case before could you still summon in red phantoms when you weren't human Yes, there was an item that did it. Ah, no, because now you actually two. get the um, things in the area. Maybe they yes, did that in two designed, as well. I think it's... Anyway, they designed it for PvP, so you can... When you want to fight, you can just ask, basically, rather than it happening. But I think what they've done is they've kind of helped... Um, they've got more uh, offline phantoms now. Because I think in two, there weren't many like AI things that were oh red phantoms. God. And there's loads more of them in oh, three. Oh, they're horrible. And they're really hard, they're, yeah. They, and that, actually, they have made me appreciate how different and varied the combat is now there's one specific bit that I got to recently where you can go up the stairs or down the stairs up the stairs NPC Red Phantom down the stairs NPC Red Phantom and the one down the stairs is a thief and the one up the stairs is a barbarian and they're massively different playstyles. see I miss this because oh, the thing is really good. you don't get this unless you're in an area with your basically with your ember with your humanity uh, and it means it's this weird thing if you, you don't they're all up there unless you've used it oh, that's and using it gives you more health so and you get a lot of them quite a lot of them so you kind of always have this tendency to be like oh maybe I should use one because I've got more health but then you never know when it's going to mean because lots of the areas have them and it's just the worst when you're walking through an area and it's like a phantom's come and you're like oh not now not now and it's and it's your fault because you got greedy you want the extra health you want the extra security so it's like I find myself sometimes because and this is uh, follows on to a question I'll answer in a second because 
you don't have like um, collectible health items anymore. It's back to the old Estus flask of like when your flask is empty, that's it. You can't like grind for more flask. You've just got however much you've got. But you can get all your health back by using one of the embers, basically. Oh my god, I oh, I had that. So you'd be like, I've run out of juice, that. but I'll use an ember. I was I was in um <laughs> the early bit, what's it? The oh, frick. The not the undead parish, but obviously the oh, yeah. Lothric. So very, very early in the game, the whole high wall of Lothric, it's it's a big castle, basically. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> and uh It is literally the first place you go, yeah. it's fine, yeah. And uh I yeah, ran out of Estus, but I hadn't found the boss and I hadn't found another bonfire and I was like, I am not going back to the bonfire. I've killed everything. I I'm not going back, I refuse. But I had no Estus left and I had no health, so I, I embered thinking, Oh cool, well I'll just restore my health by embers, that's fine. Yep. And then of course someone invaded me and yep. I was like, Oh no, I forgot. And so I'm like creeping around. The whole reason I used the embers is because I was scared. And then obviously I was more scared exactly. because someone arrived. And I just love me. that they've actually they've done a better job now of like filling it with offline stuff. So even if you're not playing online or even if it's you're like true. playing it in months when people aren't playing it as much, it still has that thing of you being like, and now it's got to the point where it's happened to me so many times because those phantoms really mess me up because of my playstyle. I'm not made for that fast combat. I'm like a big guy with a big sword. I'm always like, I need the health, otherwise I'm going to die. But then when I use the ember, I'm always like, for a few seconds, being parrying, like... Parrying, my friend. Am it? Yeah, it's hard. Hey, they've got really good at parrying as Listen, well. you haven't got to a bit yet where... Yeah, listen. Oh, <laughs> listen, listen to me. Listen to me, girl. Yeah, I know about parrying, but there's there's a bit coming, and yeah, it suddenly spikes. I, I only hard. say this because I have to remind myself that parrying exists. Yeah, it's hard. It's so easy in Dark Souls to just run around in circles with your shield up and press R1 now and then. Quinn's like, has seen some of the things I'm dealing that. with. They really like swinging things at you quite quickly it's uh, it's unpleasant um, shudder shudder but I, was, yeah. I was sat the exact perfect distance away with my book while you were playing so that I absorbed literally none of the atmosphere from the game but could hear 100% of your screams I was freaking a fuck I was having such a great time man. and you know I what I terrifying my cats when I play Dark Souls because I scream I really scream when something freaks me out oh, man. but you know I'm I'm really glad because Actually, for the first 10, 15 hours of the game, it wasn't affecting me. I was playing it like a video game. And that's how I felt about a lot of Dark Souls 2. Mm-hmm. It was fine, uh, but it was mechanical to me. But now I'm, I'm excited to say that after about 15, 16 hours, I've started to get into areas of Dark Souls 3 that are surprising me and scaring me. And Quinn's going to attest to that. <laughs> like, it's kind of got under my skin. That place you were at when I walked in was really, really It was not pleasant. No. no but genuinely distressing. It was either that or a really horrible boss. So it's like, do you want mechanical difficulty or do you want something that's emotionally difficult? Is, I found <laughs> I the whole know. of Bloodborne really emotionally difficult. You know, I, I oh, actually yeah. haven't quite finished it. I'm in the Nightmare of Mensis in Bloodborne. Oh, so the, you mean you didn't? Uh, so the DLC is also a whole other thing. Oh yeah, I've not, I didn't have you know, I don't have the time in my life to do the DLC. I mean, I'll I'll go back and I'll finish. Well, apparently that's good because apparently if you've actually finished the game, the DLC is really hard and you have to go. Yeah. Oh, there's a whole weird thing. Yeah. yeah. No, the Nightmare of Mensis was funny for me because um, I got lucky with the because I I summon Mario through these games. I like working with people. I yeah, don't. I don't want to play against bosses multiple times. I've got. I've got I like to cook on Sunday evenings. It's, I'm very. I'm at that point in my life. But, the jolly cooperator. It's all good. That's the whole point of the game. Yeah. So um, I got my nah. jolly cooperators <laughs> and uh, I got two of them and they were really good. And the whole Nightmare of Mensis for me, which I think is the Gothic one, the one or the, 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 the Gothic Gothic one. It was kind of Gothic into, but the one. That in particular feels like a haunted house. Yeah. And because we went through it so fast and I got to see all the textures, traps, animations, surprises, monsters there, it was like being on a ghost train. And it oh, was that's so cool. I just drifted through the whole thing at Mac 3. That's cool. And saw everything at unbelievable speed. Yeah, the the oh man. I got to the the Murgo's wet nurse boss, and I yeah. found it so disturbing that I just didn't want to ever look at it ever again. Mm. And that's when I stopped playing Bloodborne, because also the Witcher 3 came out. Very close to the end there, actually. I know yeah. what this 
just I could probably if I just sat down for five hours. But actually, weekend, at the same could... time, that is the exact right point to actually go and do the DLC. I'm looking forward. Now that Souls Three is out, I'm not going to do it. DLC is good as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going back to Bloodborne after Souls Three is done. I'm hoping to actually have some damn time in my life. Just. Any time. Good. <laughs> oh man, I should make a souls related uh, uh, sort of revelation, or like, what's the word when you admit something? An admission. There you go. An uh, confession. Uh, every, confession. I've played Demons, Dark, Dark Souls 2, and Bloodborne, and every single one I've got to the last boss and put the pad down and had no desire to finish it because I played those games so much to see what's around the corner and I don't need to see the ending cutscene. I did that scene. with Demons and I mm. actually did it with Dark. Like when uh, the first way, th- the first, the review build um, I got up to Ornstein Smau and they were borderline impossible in the review build I think one person in the entire world did them hmm. all the rest of us had to stop and then I didn't play Dark Souls for a year because it was quite traumatic and I went back for Prepare to Die edition and I got all the way up to Gwyn didn't finish it lost that save for some reason it was on a work PS3 or whatever and then I had to go through again so actually only the third time I played Dark Souls did I finish it I get a thing and especially with bosses like Gwyn particularly Fuck like Gwyn so I know I like them and there was a boss in the in the Bloodborne DLC which is kind of a, a one-on-one with a similar thing and I get really into them and I think it's like personal right yeah but also like it's like funny how you say oh I don't want to I, I respect you know I don't want to like, keep playing the same boss again and again but every now and then I'll be like no fuck this boss I'm summoning people I don't, I don't care but every now and then I'll be like this is a good it'll be like this is good boss this is a good fight and yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna beat do you know what? Yeah, there, and there, it's like I just I, I mean, I there playing... are, yeah there are definitely some boss fights where you want to do it by yourself and some way you're like oh fuck this I can't be asked <laughs> yeah get more people in but it's like a weird respect thing of being like you're good and I'm gonna beat you yeah but it's gonna take me some time doing Gwyn with Solaire is obligatory though if you can yeah, like, sure. Gwyn with Solaris. Come on, who can Beautiful. do that? He's dead. He's always dead. He's, oh, I know, he's always Let him dead. die. Let him live his life in the way that is intended by the world of Dark Souls. There's this really persistent, like, lore rumour thing about Solaris that he's a lost son of Gwyn. Yeah. Do not... I don't believe it at all. I think it's bullshit because nothing that Gwyn... It's two Star Wars. Well, it's two Star Wars, firstly. It's too obvious, secondly. And thirdly, nothing that Gwyn says about his son, which is that he was a god of war who burned all the history books of Anolono and got banished, fits with Solaire. Also, they're all fucking giants. Gwyn is a giant. All of the gods are giants and Solaire's a little normal man. Anyway. He's a ch- pretty chirpy as well. Yeah. Chirpy lad. Good lad. Let's um, cap this off with a little bit of um, say, say what you like. See, say what you like. Say what you like. Is the word spoiler <laughs> that we're going for the... Say what you like. Uh, yeah, say, what you say what you like. So, if people like me don't want to hear about necessarily the first uh, 15 hours of Dark Souls 3, then uh, you can turn off the podcast right now. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, please, bye. You died the Dark Souls companion. Thank you, bye. You died the Dark Souls companion there. <laughs> it got a bit mangled by Keza's Englishness <laughs> and unwilling I'm to... I'm not English. That is true. Britishness. <sighs> there we go. I... Gotta exit the room. Have fun, kids. Leave the room, and we're gonna talk about this for about ten minutes, and then wrap it up. Come on, get out! Get out! Get out of here! Get out! Before I tell you all the names of the items. No! Okay, I feel we may have oversold this because we've really only played. Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, to be honest, like most people will probably only have played that. This is just for people who've played like the beginning bit, so they can go. Oh yeah, I like that bit as well. So I know how far you are, so I'm not going to go any further than that. You can spoil it a little bit for me. I've, I've I've seen things I shouldn't have because I've had to edit features and reviews about Dark Souls, so it's okay. all good. I, well, I, well, I know I wouldn't be upset if you told me anything that you've seen, anything further. Than sure. That. Well, we'll try and go from the from the roughly from the start forward anyway, just so we can so people can have a point where they go, ah, no, that's as far as I am. I'm not listening anymore. Yep, that's cool. I wasn't really impressed by all of the the castly stuff at first because it was just like a dragon again. Right and... up, right up till so the, the first thing that happens in Dark Souls is you emerge from Dark Souls Three, even you emerge in a cemetery of ash. 
thought that was a cool start. Yeah. You then you arrive at the new Firelink Shrine, which is like Demon Souls ne- Nexus. Oh, um, actually, there was that boss right at the oh, start. Oh, Yex Gundor, his name. That was quite cool. I like. I mean, unfortunately, I did in first try, which I'm actually quite sad about. I did, but I think it's supposed to be easy. Yeah, it's, it's easy if you be... know what you're doing. But I saw someone at the preview event who'd never played Dark Souls before, and they were stuck on that boss for two hours. Wow. Yeah. I think it's more. It's just... just he didn't know about blocking and rolling. He just kept going up and. Are wanting, Sounds anyway. like an idiot. Well, I just didn't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> but no, I, I think it's also it's one of the things. Maybe I just come from Bloodborne, and that boss I think impressed me because it was psychologically quite frightening. It, it was, was. An explosion of it was quite Bloodborne. It has that track. Like actually, I mean, this this almost disappointed me. I kind of wasn't impressed by Dark Souls three when I played the first two levels, first no, four fair. five hours at preview because firstly that transformation thing I was like oh that's just Bloodborne mm. like, there's a lot of like beast transformation stuff there's there's a little bit of that flavour in Dark Souls 3 and uh, I was just a little bit disappointed by that I thought oh that's not new and then um, obviously the second thing which was just really obvious is that there's so many reused assets from Bloodborne with slightly different textures yeah and you just I think you know I actually said that to um, Miyazaki did I? Did I say it to me as accurate? Anyway, I said it to someone at Namco Bandai, I can't remember who. And they went, yeah, yeah we've had a year and a half to make it, so that's going to happen. And I was like, fair enough. That's totally fair. I'm not really too bothered about reuse assets. But yeah, I, I guess we, I know what you mean. And weirdly as well, like the first few areas, maybe they were trying to just like sh- imp- impress people at preview or something. I don't know, but it was this weird thing for the first like f- the first few areas. So that opening area, the Firelink Shrine, and then... um. The kind of the Lothric, ta- Lothric yeah. castle, the high it just, tower, is very impressive visually, but it just like just ran really quite badly, and I actually started to resent like all the shiny effects it was trying to do with light and stuff because it just kept being like. I think performance you know, it's, was really bad. Now that I think about it, and now that you've made me think, yeah, it, it's designed for new Dark Souls players because it's a perfect guide to Dark Souls. The high wall of Lothric, it's yeah. like the, the dragon is there that sprays fire. You know, that, that dragon is there. And then, but the thing is, I remember I, I stood somewhere where I thought I was safe and nicked him with an arrow and he just turned around and went, Pah! you know, Classic, where somewhere yeah. I thought I was safe and I was like, oh, that's good. That's good. Because obviously previously you just hide somewhere and, and nick and him with arrows. And just carefully nick away. Very funny. Um, and then, yeah, same thing of like, you find somebody locked away and then you find like, someone locked like, away. There, there's lots of verticality, and... there's shortcuts. Like, and just, I think the problem is simple stuff we know, like when you walk out, like chances are, it's just that kind of almost constant looking behind you as exactly. an enemy just dropped down behind you. And oh, at that yeah. point, it was all that. It was yeah. like enemy dropped down behind you, this area looks safe, then you get mobbed and like people climbing up the battlements. And it's like, I've done it all this. It did feel a bit wrong, didn't it? But, you know, thankfully, it's really, really got better. Yeah. I mean, not that it was bad, it just felt familiar, whereas now I feel, I feel challenged by it. Yeah. I feel challenged by it, which I was just really hoping. Well, also, it really opens out. So when it gets to the point where you can either go to the Cathedral of the Deep yeah. or around kind of Farron Keep with the kind of yeah. the swamp area. I don't like Farron Keep. You see, the swamp area must be a nightmare now because I have got through most of that before the servers went online and I get the impression that that's going to be hell for invasions. <sighs> well, there's there's a few... Because there's a covenant there to do with that, isn't there? There is. I mean, this is it. Like me, the, the reason we got invaded with this guy I was talking about earlier, the reason we got invaded however many times it was, I think it was five or seven or whatever, the reason that happened is because it kept summoning in the defenders of Farron's Keep and they kept sure. disappearing and we're like, oh fuck, how is this happening again? And it was only after I figured out that there must have been a, you know, forest sentinels stuff covenant that's sending them in there yeah that that are but i think that um one of the things that's really challenging me about souls 3 at the moment is that it's taking your your souls knowledge and just being confident enough to be like nah and not in the way the dark souls 2 did which was like oh you think there's going to be one enemy lol there's seven yeah uh, but in 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 slightly different ways that there's i'm trying to think of another example besides the the dragon Mm. um I have a bow. I love my bow. It's really useful for, you know, drawing aggro 
Um, and you can cheese with it. You can hide, but you have to be quite clever when you cheese with it. Like often you'll start, you'll start, you know, picking away at an enemy and they'll, they'll tolerate it for a few hits and then they'll just like pull out a wand and fuck you <laughs> or, or sure. some other ranged thing of their own that they have. And, uh, it also, it, it's almost like it, it gives you spots where you can cheese when it knows you might need them. But then when it really wants you to face up, it'll just give you no option. Like well, I've found that no place consistently, actually, that it's, it's uh, the, the, the pacing in terms of difficulty has been really interesting. And I found it way too easy to begin with, but I just felt like an extended kind of honeymoon period, like rather than just being like, here's how to play the game, now you're in. Also, I felt like the yeah. whole Lotharic bit was just like kind of like learning it. Yeah. And initially I was a bit really concerned in terms of simple things, like there was... Um, a bit of environmental storytelling in the fact that they had like this big fat knight wearing red and in a room with like hundreds of dead knights yeah. wearing blue. And I thought, oh, he must have, they must have fought each other. And so I tried to drag him off towards the blue knights in the hope that the knights would fight. And when that didn't happen, they were all on the same time as team. I was like, oh. oh, that's a shame. I was like, oh, but I've realized now there are like, I was, some enemies will there fight each other, right? some of that stuff, which is great because actually what I'm really enjoying about it now is. It isn't just a simple thing of you need to get through these things and kill all the enemies and then get to the next bit and get the bonfire. A lot of the time, it is actually a question of fight or flight. And there's a few areas where it's like, it doesn't actually make sense to fight. Lothric teaches you that. You know, there there are places in, in that area. I think if you're a new Dark Souls player, you try several times to kill, for instance, that big bastard in the red. Yeah. You, you try lots of times and before realizing that you could just bypass him. And also yeah. there's, there's quite a few cleverly positioned areas in Lothric Castle where there's like one of those knights that will fuck you up if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of the ones that can parry and that will. And they always appear in places where you can avoid them. And I think it's teaching you just you can you can run away from a fight and it's okay. I've been quite impressed as well with the um, the placement of stuff mm. um, in terms of realising that whenever you need to get from a bonfire to a boss, like there's always a way that you can get there really quickly. There's always a useful route, isn't there? Either by like taking a shortcut, maybe like jumping off a little ledge and falling down, or sometimes just the fact that you start to realise there are some areas where getting from A to B was incredibly difficult but it was almost like this thing of like you ran in a very specific route you run here then zigzag here and you could just get through untouched yeah there's, there was a way to do that between the the high wall of Lothric bonfire and Parl the Darth Beast no no Darth Beast I keep calling him Darth Beast Parl because he is Darth Beast Parl but the whatever his name was the sword dog oh yeah yeah not the sword dog Frosty, 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 Frosty the hammer dog. magic dog Frosty the hammer dog that guy yeah um, who by the way I struggled with him because my dex build just couldn't hit hard enough sure so um, and at that stage in the game there's not that many options for equipment so I really, really annoyingly took me like 10 attempts to do him, even though he wasn't that hard. It's just that I couldn't hit hard enough yeah. to do enough damage to him. And then um, I found a broadsword. It was fine. But about about half an hour afterwards, my friend uh, Matt, who's also my other friend Matt, who's also playing, came online and was like, oh, that dog beast was a piece of piss. He took four hits with a flame weapon. And I was like, wow. oh, no. Yeah. No, yeah. it's so annoying. Again, though, actually, in a weird way, um, for the first time, like I've been quite impressed by the fact that, A, it's giving you like tons of these gems really early in the game. And oh, just you, letting you, you can experiment. experiment. You can experiment with upgrading weapons. Because you know, like, got like four fire gems. You're like, all right, well, I can have, like you can play around with it. It's not like, oh, you've got it wrong. And there's there's not, well, there is actually at the moment a dearth of Titanite, which is the stuff you need to upgrade your weapons. Yeah, but I there's always, there a bit more of that's that. always the thing of like making you make those choices to yeah. a degree. But at True. least it's like with the elemental stuff it means you can dabble and start to get a feel of what the elements actually do and what yeah, works yeah and you what. can actually use different weapons it gives you three slots for weapons now on each hand and obviously you can't you, you, if you're a thief build you can't really equip them all because your equip load becomes too sure. high but nonetheless it gives you three options and especially in pvp that's going to when people have really high level characters who can you know have loads of equip load that's going to be really cool because they'll be able to switch fighting styles instantly 
and you won't know what's coming. Mm-hmm. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, but it's um yeah I'm, I've been really impressed with uh with a lot of the, the level design. In fact, there's there's an area which um is slightly ahead of, of where you are, where um really cool area, but it's just suddenly like full of really dangerous enemies. Um, but you realize they're kind of patrolling around, and it's this nice thing of being like, oh, actually, like you don't need to fight them. They they patrol around. They have like. Aggro range is quite decent, but they stop chasing you quite quickly. And so mm-hmm. it's this thing of actually, you end up having this mad thing of just madly running through and just trying to just avoid. But then it's this lovely thing if you're just running, 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 and then there's more ahead and then they're after you and you're just running and dodging and just trying to... And it's this. it actually reminds me, it's weird how there's a bit early on, um, which was one of the bit sections where I was still like, oh, I don't know about this, where it's very Resi 4 in terms of tone and theme. Oh, I think of- I know that, but it's Cathedral of the Deep, right? It's on the way to there, yeah. yeah. And it's like outside, yeah, 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 yeah. it's all like... In the graveyard, with the, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, this is well, like, Resi 4 and... Dogs. Uh, dogs, uh, like, crazy villagers, villagers yeah. fires. And I was like, okay, but it didn't click. Whereas what I'm loving is this area now is actually like, oh, this is like the spirit of Resi 4, of me just, like, running ahead and turning a corner and being like, fuck, that's a new thing, and oh, God, it's doing this to me. Okay, But run. they're following me, they're following and, me. And you're yeah. just having to just keep running and running and running and running and actually having those moments of just running and opening, because it's got so many more shortcuts now in terms of gates to open. It's got that Miyazaki brand of level design that Souls 2 didn't have. Yeah, stuff feels like it interlocks. Not the first few areas so much, but certainly yeah. where I've got to now, stuff feels like it interlocks really beautifully. Um, there does, there's some weird dead ends, but there's tons of they might not interlocking, be dead ends. and yeah, there's stuff that might not be dead ends. There's also the fact that I found, um, in terms of exploration, at the point where I started to get into it was when I realised that if I felt a bit stuck, rather than grinding, I'd just go back to an area I've been to before and found that oh yeah, I never went over there because there was a single enemy that was a bit too tough. Or help someone I've got to say, like, I mean, I don't know, because I know some people are a bit weird about playing Dark Souls in multiplayer, but sure, if you want to do all the bosses by yourself and that's important to you, no problem. Just help other people with bosses you've already done, because it's so much more fun than grinding and you get to be someone's hero. That's true. Like, if you imagine that, like, for me, I always imagine the moment I finally beat Ornstein and Smile, which, all, all told, took me two years. Like, because I couldn't do it in the review build. And then when I got to Anor Londo the second time, I just put the pad down. I was like, I can't, I just can't bear this, okay? Because I spent... We did a 24-hour live stream of Dark Souls 1 on, yeah. on IGN all through the night, and we spent 12 of those hours trying to do Ornstein and Smau. Like, it was a fucking nightmare. It really was. We couldn't do it. And so I was so kind of apprehensive. And then I, I just, you know, womaned up, got my broadsword out, my flaming K-Lag's Fury Sword. Stepped up is just a, good, a good alternative for that. Yes. I've heard recently. It's I've good. been trying to use that step up. Step it up. And, uh. Uh, I, got, and I, I did them first try by myself. Well, Solaire was there, um, but I did him first try and I was so happy. And I just, and then I spent literally 10 hours just hanging out in Ana Londo, putting my summon sign down. Yeah. And just being that person, because everyone's got their own scene. I just like to play on my own, but that's just me. Well, that's fine. But the thing is that you've got the option of doing that and that's cool. And I I love playing with others, you know, especially helping other people out and being their hero because, you know, there's so many of the stories we got for, actually, we invited uh, Dark Souls players to send in stories for the book. And the idea was we were going to have a chapter that was people's stories. And we still do have that chapter, but it's quite small now because it turns out everyone's Dark Souls stories are kind of the same. Yeah. Like everyone's got the oh man, Ornstein and Smau, and they have like this. And this some guy people, saved me yeah, yeah. And uh, so there's kind of one of each flavor, but most people's stories are quite similar, which surprised me. But yeah, I spent hours and hours and hours in Orlando just being people's hero, and I just imagined that this was their ninetieth try and they still couldn't do it, and like that sure. final, that final blow on Smau, and you you give them the sun sign, and you go, and I just imagined them crying with relief, like yeah. they did in their living room, and it makes me feel really happy. Yeah, that could have been their first go. They were like, that was easy. Yeah, right there. <laughs> but there's finally I'd say um about Dark Souls 3 the one thing uh 
which was the moment where I was like, okay, um, is just the stuff to do with the Phalanx Shrine and having um, all of the sort of a lot of the story stuff hinging there in the early game of being like having characters popping in and out, which again makes me uneasy as a player of Souls games because it's like, uh, yeah, it reminds you that it's an open space. It's not your base. It's it is like oh, I, a home. Oh, I accidentally aggroed my favorite character in there and had to kill him. Who? The miserable guy. Which miserable the guy? The exile, the deserter. Oh! What's the space the deserter? What, the guy who's just going, oh, everything's bad? Yeah, I, I thought he, he was outside sitting by the graves and I thought he was a dormant enemy, but uh, he wasn't. I had to kill him. I, yeah, I mean... Sorry, Did, I did you, you find the shell person? The shell person? Like the person with the kind of chains and the shell on the back. Oh, oh my God. I yeah. love that quest line. I love it, I love it, I love it. Well, that's the thing is, which way have you gone with it? Because it's very oh, well, early. there's two ways? Yep. So, hey, that's an interesting thing. So this oh, we're, is... We're spoilery, we can talk about this. Yeah, we can talk about so this. So what's his name? He's the, the pilgrim, Yorwal, of Londor. Yeah, so if you don't know about this thing, if you haven't got this far yet, turn off. Okay, so this will be the last thing we talk about. Yeah. But basically, uh, I think it's Yol or something, Yol? Yol of Londor, I think. Yeah. Now, little weird guy. Yeah. And he's going to help you out, isn't he? So... Have you been taking his help? So here's the thing. I have been taking his help. Have you turned into a weird black burnt character? Yes. yes. And he's died also. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? And I didn't realize these two things were connected. Because basically I had armor on, obviously, and I was, I was doing a naked run to just get to a new bonfire. And then the lady from Londor's come yes, and said, and she's hello. Like, awesome. And you're like, what? And she sells you awesome spells. But I, I didn't notice that I'd been hollowed. Until I took all my armor off, and I'm like, yeah. "What? The, why am I hollow? Why am I hollow? That's not yeah. a mechanic in this game. What's happened?" And uh, my my partner, who's playing at the same time as me, you know, he checked his, and he's like, "I'm not my hollowing." And then we found the hollowing stat on the status screen. Yep. So is there another way to do it where you don't take all his? Yep. Oh my god, what happened? So I don't know. This is the thing: is I know that there are two paths here, and it relates to another character, Anri. Right. Um, who I believe is always called Anri, but is a man or a woman depending on your gender. Interesting. And basically, I got Where freaked the Anri fuck out up? because it's um, Anri of Solaire. It's oh, wait. Knight Solaire, basically, one of the Solaire knights. <laughs> well, knights, yeah. You know what I mean? Basically, I got freaked the fuck out because I thought, oh, this guy looks pretty evil. Maybe he's not evil because Souls does that sometimes. And he kept saying, oh, I can unlock the power in you. And I'm like, this is let me level up for free. I know, right? Sweet. Yeah. So I was doing that. And then he's dead. This woman from Analondo turns up and is like, oh, hello, I was his buddy. And I'm like, oh, shit, you're from Analondo. That means you're really bad because they're the bad people. And then she was like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, don't worry about it. You're like, you've got a dark sign. You're going to marry Knight Soleil. You're going to marry Honoré. And it's like, we've got her, our man with them, Horace. And it's like fucking... And it's like trying to set you up with this character who's, who's clearly what not... What the actual fuck is this? This is amazing. Have you not had no, this, this conversation? No, this is completely new to me. And I've, I've, I've even... I've even I've not gone too far into the Vati Vajur slash Other Souls YouTuber vortex yet. But well, I've, at this point, I'm surprised you haven't seen all these people, but... Well, I've seen them. I met Horace and... What's Henry. his face? It's a tiny bit of dialogue when you talk to her when she first turns up and she's like, oh yeah, she's, you know, a, a, a hero like you should have a betrothed. Like, so, you know, it's this weird thing of like... Oh my god, like you are setting me up to be the husband and she's gonna be my bride. And I'm like, this is 1980s film villain shit of like, she's gonna be your wife because you're our dark lord. And I was like, I've made a huge mistake. Oh my god, that's amazing. And then the fact is like Horace, who's like, oh, don't mind Horace, he's this quite nice guy, he's my friend, he's actually working for the Analonda people, he's a baddie. But I had a change of heart. 
because you can get rid of it. So I got rid of the curse. Oh yeah, you can you can pay, can't you? A it lot cost of me souls. sixty thousand souls. Yes, yeah, a lot of souls. And I've got my health back, and now it means I look normal again. Um, but I, I get the impression that that is, and then and then again, like the Analondo one was like, oh, we don't have anything to talk about anymore. Goodbye. And then, oh my god, this hollowing thing is so clearly so important because it it seems to affect the way that lots of different characters talk to you. Yeah, the hollowing quest line appears to be really really cool. Yeah, like basically, the it's like the game. it. And, and again, you can either have it or not. You can't do both. Yeah, and this thing is what I'm interested in is I want to see it. Well, that's the point where I went, oh hello, because it done that classic thing of being like this game actually has good and evil. But in a way, you're actually a part of it now. You get to choose, not just oh, at man, the end. Oh, man, oh, man. This is making me think as well, like what the... I really want to know what the relationship between the unkindled, like the ashen ones is, and the... Because you appear to be an undead, but you're like ashen, which is a different thing. Yeah. Um, so being ashen and being un- and being hollow are obviously different things, because you can be a hollow ashen person, yeah. like you are in this. So I, I really want to know what the deal is with, with ashen heroes and with, with the ember and all that. Because I'm wondering if these are people who've literally like become the substantiation of the first flame. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I'm intrigued by um, now. That's the thing is, I wasn't I, at first. I was like, "This is trite. I'm not into it." But then, as soon as that happened, and as soon as it was like, "Oh yeah, she's going to be a bride," I was like, "I'm into this now." But it, so I was cool. so uncomfortable about that idea, and like, uh, not in a, not even in a modern way, just in like the idea of like, I was like, "What's oh going to happen god. if this?" I was like, "Oh my god, down. that is like proper old school evil." And I like that because the thing is, as I've said in Dark Souls, you know, originally it's a bit abstract sometimes, and what does represent evil? And something well, as simple I mean, as kind that of everything's like, bad in Dark Souls. Yeah, but I, I like in this that it's like that is a very easy to understand evil is this idea that this perfectly nice woman who you've just met and don't know is going to be your bride, and she doesn't know that yet. But it doesn't matter because you need a bride because you're going to be our lord, and that's like. That's really evil. That is messed up. I don't want to do that. And so, well, yeah, I don't know what happened to you, but... Oh, man, I hope that's still happening. I have a nice wedding. <laughs> if it does go that yeah. way. Oh, man, I feel like now that I've done the Yule of Londor route, that's not going to happen to me. Well, no, because you accepted his uh, his stuff. Oh, that's the true. The wedding is not a good thing. Like, it's not no, no, like, I know, I know. I just, yeah. It just seems interesting to me is the thing. My favourite bit of Bloodborne that I actually experienced um, was... A secret area that you can find, basically, that made me feel like I might genuinely be losing my mind. Yeah. Like, I got there and I looked around and I thought, I, 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 have I played this too much? I think I've played this too much now. I'm, I'm going to stop. And uh, But there was a thing that happened that was my new favourite thing in Bloodborne that I didn't actually experience, where apparently one of the characters in it you can propose to. But you have to have a really obscure set of items and you have to equip them all. And then you have to go up and then it gives you the option to propose. And she's just like, nah, you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> you got all that effort. It's lovely. And yeah, actually, Bloodborne, I mean, that's, that's again, the video I'm doing, which is going to be out next Thursday. It was supposed to be this Thursday, but it's probably because I, A, I rambled and I had like an hour of talking and they tr- trimmed it down. And then I'm editing it and I'm like re- listening back to myself saying things about Bloodborne. I'm like, no, that's not quite right. You need to re-record lines. So it's become a bit of a, it's not even going to be that good. It's just a labor of love in terms of getting it right. But again, one of the things I love is the fact that um, when you don't know what's going on in Dark Souls, it doesn't, that doesn't actually affect the game that much. You just carry on. But uh, what's great about Bloodborne is because it is a story about, which ostensibly for a lot of it could be about madness. Mm. Uh, when you're in a state of not really knowing what the fuck is going on, that is not something that then detaches you from the experience. Oh my it's God, something yes. that actually enhances the experience. That, that's the most perfect you thing being about like, Bloodborne, isn't it? I'm, what's going on? Yeah. Like, what the fuck and is going also, on? Yeah, then this is it. And also there's that beautiful, beautiful um, uh, correlation between the more insight you gain in the game the weirder shit yeah. gets and the more insight you gain outside of the game the weirder shit gets for you as well exactly. I just I just love it there were, there were genuine moments playing Bloodborne I and mean, this is why I stopped at Nightmare Mentis where I, I felt like I might be losing my mind in real life you know? <laughs> those singing brains man oh god I yeah. had nightmares Horrible. about those 
I it's, really, I, you know, I've, I've never. I don't think I've ever been so. I hate this word, but viscerally affected by a game as Bloodborne because usually horror stuff I just don't play. But because Bloodborne's a Miyazaki game, I had to play, even though it deeply distressed me. It is <laughs> distressing great. for like an, a number of reasons. Mm. Um, actually, yeah, like, and it is. It's a very horrible representation of the body and the mind. The, this is it. It's, it's very body horror for me. That game. There's a lot of pregnancy stuff in Bloodborne that. Like freaks me the fuck out. Yeah, like it's, it's scary. It's, as a woman, it's just horrible, horrible, horrible nightmare. Like worst nightmare stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's 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 it's. I I, th- I feel like Miyazaki would be happy that it stressed me to such an extent. You should uh, try and go and finish the DLC though. I will. I will. Because it's uh, it's it ties up the themes really, really. After Souls Three, because I want to experience that with everyone else. And it does a nice thing in the fact that in the main game of Bloodborne, it doesn't do such a good job of um like having the 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 dreams actually represent like they were kind of a bit. Hodgepodge, whereas it does a nice thing in DLC if it's all in a, it's all in a nightmare, but it actually does some like interesting stuff with storytelling in terms of like unreliable narrator, uh, interesting pacing and direction. And it's like, yeah, I, I structurally when I looked at it afterwards, I was like, that was really clever, even though I didn't notice it at the time. I was like, you know, just having things are like things that aren't quite what they seem. Where you think, hang on, was that actually like that? Because it's like recounting things that happened, but you're like, was that like that, or is that just being changed to be like that in this dream because it's like symbolic? Oh, that's and, cool. And really subtle stuff. But yeah, we can talk about that. Can't one. wait. Looking forward to it. Anyway, thanks very much for listening to this. We've gone on rambly, rambly time. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thank now you. it's only people who didn't care about spoilers for Dark Souls. Yeah. So hope you're enjoying the game. Yeah, if you're still around, please, please buy my book. <laughs> Bye, Kesha's book. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.